Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Committed is a production of iHeartRadio. You know, it's very sort of, I would even say culty, cult-like, you know, because it's this like very cohesive community and you're in this bubble and it's this completely different world. Most people who you're interacting with are at the CIA and that's where you form your friendships, your relationships. And I think it's really common. Okay. So I am a big fan of spy movies. James Bond. I loved Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Their identities are a secret. Even from each other. So how's word? We had a little trouble with the commission. Loved me some true lies. For 15 years, Harry Tasker's been leading a double life. Mr. President, one of our best men is inside. Transmitting now. Right on time. I don't believe I've met you before. Rehnquist. Harry Rehnquist. And even duplicity, despite the fact that it starred Julia Roberts, who I despise. And I have always wondered what it must be like for real-life spies who are in real-life relationships. Is it all sexy tango and dashing off to Monte Carlo? Is it? 
Are they just fighting over whether to watch Ted Lasso or White Lotus like the rest of us? I think it's probably somewhere in between. I was someone who had been completely devoted to my life at the agency. I didn't have a family. I was single and I spent my 20s there. And so I spent virtually every waking hour either at headquarters or when I was overseas, you know, traveling for work to Africa. Like my career was my number one and it was synonymous. What I did for a living was synonymous with who I was. That is Christina Hillsberg. Her and her husband, Ryan, are a real life Mr. and Mrs. Smith. They actually met and fell in love while they were both working for the CIA. Their time as spies shaped who they are, but it also shaped their marriage and how they're raising their kids. And trust me, and even though these two have lived a life filled with adventure, it is not all speedboats in Monaco. I'm Joe Piazza. This is Committed. everything about how how did how did you become how did you and can can I say spy is spy the right term for me to say or should I say yeah agent? you can you can say spy agent actually refers to it's often used a lot when talking about CIA officers but it's kind of been hollywoodized and the real meaning of agent is actually someone who a CIA officer has recruited to spy on behalf of the United States, but it's used, you know, in Hollywood. So it totally works. But Ryan was a, a CIA operations officer and I was an intelligence analyst. And yeah, we can tell you how we got to be there. Mine was more of a happy accident than any sort of careful planning. I was recruited off my college campus because of my foreign language capabilities. Christina studied Swahili and Zulu in school. The CIA had come to campus to recruit foreign language speakers. One of her professors flagged her for an interview, but Christina was not into it. She didn't know exactly that it was the CIA, but she thought it was some boring government job, and she was like, no way. And then lo and behold, when I actually met with the recruiter and found out he was CIA and he told me that I would be, you know, analyzing information and writing about it for the U.S. president and other policymakers and the area that my expertise is in is is Africa. And I would be able to work on Africa, travel back and forth to Africa. And so I was taken and knew that I wanted to work there. And within a few months, I was already through the door. I had a very quick security clearance process and found myself, you know, writing for the president during my first week. It was late December 2006. The Ethiopians had just invaded Somalia and it was very busy. And I can let Ryan share with you how he started, which was a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, I think even since I was a little boy, being a spy or, you know, joining the CIA or being James Bond was right up there with, you know, Indiana Jones and and some other things that I thought were, were pretty cool and I could see myself doing. It wasn't really until I was in college that I started to give it a little bit more thought because, you know, how do you join the CIA? How do you get in? How do you become an intelligence officer? And so I started doing some investigation and also had a a feeling that I, I really wanted to serve my country in some way, shape or form or capacity. Yeah, I, I joined the agency straight out of college. It was my first you know professional uh, career after graduating and then was in for about 13 years. 
So Christina and Ryan met at work, which for most people is like the most boring way to meet, except their work was being spies. Christina was preparing to do a rotation with what she refers to as the clandestine side of the agency, which is very spy-like, and I love it when they talk like this. And she met Ryan during her training for that. And I spotted him from across the room. You know, we went around and did the intros of, you know, where everybody was stationed or where they were about to be. And when he said where he was, and I knew that's where I was going, I thought, well, as fate would have it, you know, of course, (laughs) we're going to be the same place I had spotted this man. And so during the break, I actually approached him and another person who I knew was going to be at that same CIA station just to kind of meet because I knew that I was going to need as many allies as possible in this new position. And I only spent a couple of minutes with him because we had to go back after break. We exchanged a few words, but I could picture almost a future with him, like just, and it sounds crazy, but I just met him and like, I could tell he was adventurous. I was, you know, obviously found him very attractive and really didn't know much about him other than felt kind of this pull to him. And when we spoke those first couple minutes, you know, I definitely got the, I have a boyfriend vibe from her. I <laughs> and did. I did. I, I did. did have one. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, but I also got the if I didn't have a boyfriend, I'd be really into you vibe. <laughs> I had no idea I could give off some so, such complex vibes, <laughs> but that is very accurate. I did have a boyfriend. <laughs> um, and when I ended up leaving for my tour, that, you know, ended. And so we reconnected like three or four months later when I got to the station and he asked me out immediately. And you I was know, waiting. Yeah, it was it was all, you know, history, as they say now. <laughs> And so he reached out, I mean, immediately in my first week. And I think we went out for our first date that Saturday. Yeah, we went to an Italian restaurant. And then we ended up talking for hours, really. Then went to a different restaurant. For dessert. For dessert. But, but, but. So (laughs) in the office, on my way out that first day, I had written my name on a piece of paper. And as I was leaving, she was still in her office. And so I went in, (laughs) Uh I put the piece of paper down on her desk I didn't say anything, but I gave her the call me hand signal. You know, when you place your hand. It was you know. very smooth. <clears throat> it was very smooth. Oh, yeah. Well, I was hoping it was smooth. <laughs> that, is, that is not very smooth for a spy. I know. I know. I'm like, that feels like a dad move, which, you know, was uh, fitting because he was a dad. We talked so much on that first date, and I ended up having to leave just because I had, like, a utility company coming to my apartment and had to get out of there. Otherwise, who even knows how long we would have talked. But I was just so fascinated by him because he was so well-rounded. And and this was something that was common with a lot of CIA operations officers specifically because, you know, they have to build rapport and create relationships of trust with intelligence assets. And so the more well-rounded a case officer or operations officer is, the more successful they'll be at their job. So I wasn't really that surprised that he was well-rounded because I had met, you know, other really interesting operations officers, but there was something more genuine about his interests. Like I could tell that these were just all things that he was genuinely interested in and not just things that he had dabbled in to be able to do his job. So for instance, you know, he was someone who could bake bread from scratch. He's, you know, cooking from Julia Child, Art, Art of French Cooking on a regular basis, but he can also talk about medieval knives. He speaks multiple languages. He plays multiple multiple instruments. And I just was so fascinated with him. But also, I think we just laughed so much more than anything, which I knew was, you know, one of the most important qualities for me. Like, I felt like I had known him my whole life. And I mean, I think it went pretty quickly. I mean, it was a few months before I met the kids, but I think there was just no question, like we knew this was going to be serious. Yeah, I mean, I think we were both straightforward about it. You know, we were both attracted to each other. 
we were both interested in each other. We didn't really play games except for that initial phone call <laughs> and text. <laughs> After that, it was it was very straightforward. And we were just honest with, you know, what we wanted and what we expected and, and sort of where we wanted to go. I was very curious about these epic first conversations, the ones where they clicked so well together. I was curious because isn't that part of being a spy? Knowing how to get inside someone's brain, knowing how to small talk them into submission. Were either of them worried that none of this was real, that it was all just part of the training and the smoke and mirrors and making people trust you and fall in love with you like Claire Danes in Homeland? We'll find out after a quick break. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so my big question for Christina and Ryan was whether or not they felt like they were seeing the other person's real self when they first started dating. Well, you know, it's funny you ask that because I had dated, you know, a lot of spies <laughs> that I have mentioned in the book, you know, before Ryan. And there is this tendency for operations officers to do what's called practicing their tradecraft on their colleagues, which they are not supposed to do. It's a very big no-no. But of course they do. And there are lots of eccentric characters who think that they're James Bond and, you know, want to practice. And they think that they're very suave with the ladies. So I definitely encountered those for sure. And I had vowed that I would never date another let alone marry one. And then of course, Ryan came along. But I think what was so different about Ryan is that I could tell that he was genuine in a way that most of these other operations officers were not. And because I think the reason why it comes off as so smarmy with a lot of these other um, men is that they were pretending to be someone they weren't. They were specifically trying to practice tradecraft. They were trying to find ways to connect with people and they weren't actually genuine interests of theirs, right? They were schmoozing, they were, you know, kind of playing the game. Whereas I could tell right off the bat that Ryan, you know, genuinely had a lot of interest. And so it felt, you know, more real to me. And Ryan, how about you? Well, probably not because I was an analyst, right? Is that, is that what you're going to say? No, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I think from my perspective, as Christina noted, I try to be genuine. You know, you have to deal um, especially on the operational side of things out in the field, going after targets and, and, and recruiting sources and assets, you're dealing with a, a range of different personalities. And, you know, there's, there's people that you would never think that you'd have a connection with. But if you talk to them, if you elicit information from them, and you build rapport and you, you give to get, right? You give a little bit of information about yourself in hopes that they open up and, and, and give you a little bit. And so it's, for me, it, it's, it's almost, um, it's almost natural that I, I try to do this, uh, not just when I was at the agency, but even since I've left in, in, in the corporate world and even just in my personal relationships. I mean, even with my kids, like I genuinely want to know about someone, uh, and care about them and want to open up the relationship, open up the conversation, open up the dialogue, not just in me, but with anybody. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so I sort of felt that same way towards Christina as well. I, I never thought, you know, oh, she's, you know, schmoozing me. Or, well, and I think it's important to note that at that time, I was an analyst just starting out on my first operational tour. And so... 
I will yeah. say, I will say this though. She did feign interest in archery and skiing. Yeah, I was not as genuine as he was. I <laughs> I kind of said like, oh yeah, you know, those things sound fun. Because of course I'm in the position of like, this man is so interesting. He has all these hobbies. And I was someone who had been completely devoted to my life at the agency. I didn't have a family. I was single and I spent my 20s there. And so I spent virtually every waking hour either at headquarters or when I was overseas, you know, traveling for work to Africa, like my career was my number one. And it was synonymous. What I did for a living was synonymous with who I was. And so I, of course, feigned interest in these other, you know, exciting things, you know, that I wanted to try them. I wanted to learn them because I wanted to sound more interesting to him. And to this day, I've yet to ski. And that was what, mm-hmm. eight, what was that? Almost 10 years ago. But we did buy my first pair of skis. And so I have agreed to learn to ski next winter. <laughs> I'm being held to my word belatedly, but nonetheless. Well, and you did. Uh <laughs> How common is it for spies to date each other? Is, is everyone dating each other in the agency? It's very common. It's very incestuous. There. I mean, it's it's difficult to be there and date someone who isn't in the organization because, you know, even if you're both there, you're still sometimes limited in what you can share about what you're working on because there's what they call a need to know. But if you're dating someone outside of the CIA, that, that makes it even more difficult because, you know, it's very sort of, I would even say culty, cult-like, you know, because it's this like very cohesive community and you're in this bubble and it's this completely different world. You know, you're cut off from the outside world for, you know, many hours every day. You know, if you're in headquarters, you don't have your cell phone, you're not on social media, you're not, you know, as connected as most people are, you know, on a day-to-day basis. And so most people who you're interacting with are at the CIA and that's where you form your friendships, your relationships. And I think it's really common. I mean, that said, I, I knew people who had spouses outside of the CIA. And I think that those relationships, like Ryan was saying earlier, are, you know, most successful when the person at the CIA finds a way to tell their spouse as much as they're allowed to or able to so that their spouse can feel like they're a part of it. But I think it's so much easier when both people are in. And I I think that made it easier for us to date and it makes it easier for us to relate to each other now. Were there things you couldn't tell each other when you were both with the agency that you had to keep from each other? You know, not... Well, no, because we were at the same station. So I think that made it easier because I actually had access to his operational cables. If we were in a different station, then I wouldn't necessarily, like, we wouldn't necessarily be reading each other's, about each other's meetings. So I think because we were at the same location and because we were in the same, like, if we had a morning meeting with everyone at station, you know, you go around the table and everyone's giving, you know, updates on their ops and their assets. And so we were pretty in tune with what each other was doing, I think, if we were at different locations, you know, um, it's possible that we wouldn't have it as much of a, an eye into what the other was doing. But we were lucky. I mean, we even got to do a case together before we got married because it was a area that I had subject matter expertise. And so we were able to run that asset together, which was really fun. They got married a year and a half later. They had a very short engagement. It was only three months long, and I think everyone thought that I was pregnant. But, you know, when nine months later rolled around and I wasn't, (laughs) I think people just realized, you know, we were two adults who just, you know, knew what we wanted, and we didn't really have the patience or time for any sort of long wedding planning or engagement. And so we just kind of moved forward, and that was what worked for us. So these two are newlyweds, but they are also still spies, and they still both have very demanding jobs. Ryan was a dad, and suddenly Christina was a stepmom. 
Yeah, you know, it's funny. I like to say that we didn't really have a typical newlywed experience because, you know, we had kids from the get-go. We did have a honeymoon without kids, which was nice. But yeah, I was really thrust into the world of parenting. But I really um, followed Ryan's lead because, you know, his oldest was um, almost 10 when we met. And, you know, we, we married almost two years later. And, you know, he already had a way of doing things. He had been parenting for quite some time. And I was really trying to find my footing with um, his three kids, who we now call the bigs. We call them the bigs and the littles because we have, you know, all the way from age three to 18 now. And so I was really just kind of following his lead, making sure that I was building that relationship of trust with my new stepkids. And, you know, we were trying to balance it all from the beginning. I also couldn't help but wonder how much of their jobs they had to keep a secret from one another. Ryan told me that for a long time in the history of the CIA, at least up until the 80s, spies were not allowed to tell their families anything about what they did. I think a lot of marriages struggled because there was this idea that if you were within the agency, you couldn't really talk about what you did. You didn't tell your family. You didn't tell your wife, your husband, etc. I think it was after, I think, 2000 plus or minus, they really started to change that dynamic and, you know, really encouraged agency officers to tell their spouses, you know, what they did for a living, you know, where they were traveling in general terms, etc., to be more open and honest about their work life and what they were doing. And so I think that that's, you know, we, we came into the agency in that era of more sort of openness and truthfulness and directness, especially in terms of, of marriage and relationships. And so I think that really did help us, you know, especially because we were both in the agency. You know, if one of us hadn't been, I think that would have been. Yeah, I think that's our common thread that like we've had these same experiences because I think that if we were starting over with new careers, but then also if we were married to someone that didn't understand where we had been, I think that would be really challenging. Yeah, and I think what would probably surprise a lot of people about the CIA is just how family friendly it is. You know, the, the, the agency bent over backwards for me time and time again, especially for personal reasons and family um, issues, especially with, with my divorce and then figuring out follow-on tours and how I would continue to stay at the agency while dealing with a divorce. Yeah, I think people are would be surprised to know just how family-friendly it is there. And, you know, it's a very incestuous organization. Like Christina said, there's a lot of tandem couples. You know, they really do a good job of taking care of you, uh, especially overseas on assignments in terms of housing, in terms of benefits, kids in, in international school, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's, I loved my time in. Well, I think especially for, you know, a family a blended family, you know, when you're, when you already have kids from a previous marriage and then you're bringing in new kids together, it was just really important to us to have a cohesive family unit. And in order for that to be the case, you know, we would have to be in the same location so that all five of our kids could be together and have that close relationship. And, and I mean, I'm happy to say that, I mean, you would just never know, you know, based on how our kids interact together that, you know, the older three had a completely separate and different childhood than, you know, the younger two. I mean, they see each other as, you know, full brother and sister and we're one cohesive family. And I think a lot of that has to do with the effort that we put in to put down roots and, and make some make the career change that we made to build the family that you see today. I asked Christina what was the hardest part of becoming an instant stepmom to three kids. So it's this balance, and I've dealt with this from the get-go, of like 
you know, knowing when to kind of assert my position in the family, but also when to kind of take that step back and understand what needs to come from Ryan and what needs to come from me. And it's this constant making sure that I'm nurturing that trusting relationship with them. Ryan is really great at you know, making sure that the bigs are aware of the role that I play. And and we have a lot of open discussions in our family. I mean, we have had the discussion at the kitchen table of like, you know, why is it different when Christina says this, you know, as opposed to me, you know, and the kids will say, because she's not my mom. You know, that's something that we talk openly about. And Ryan is also really great at making sure that the kids understand, you know, and he will tell them, you know, there are not a lot of women who would be willing to take on another family and to do all the things that she does for you. And he sings my praises and I think he's my biggest supporter and advocate to make sure that the kids understand that, you know, going from no kids to three kids seemingly overnight is is difficult for anyone. But I also like to tell the bigs that I wouldn't have done it for just anyone. Like they are really incredible kids. They are the most well-rounded and adventurous kids I've ever met. And they're truly unique. And that's really the only reason why I was able to do what I did because I saw this family and I saw how Ryan parented. And I knew that that was the kind of man I wanted to be with. And I knew that this was the kind of family I wanted. And you know, that made it from from that aspect, you know, a lot easier. But I think, you know, it was balancing that. And I think also, you know, the more I parented them as a stepmom, the more I wanted to birth children of my own, you know, to, to give birth and, and be a mother and from, from a baby, you know, from, from a newborn stage because, you know, the youngest of the bigs was six when I met her. So I didn't have that experience of those younger kids. And so I was excited for that. And so that was kind of our own other unique road because, you know, Ryan hadn't planned on having additional kids. And so that was, you know, a period that we went through to make sure we could have that happen. That's a little opaque there. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, Ryan, you didn't want additional kids, but did you then come around? Well, obviously, look, you've got more, but like what, what, you got the littles. What changed your mind? You know, after my divorce, I was, what's the word? Well, you were a lot of things. (laughs) You were a little gun shy. You were. Yeah. I mean, I I actually, I I didn't want, it's not just, I didn't want kids anymore, any more kids. It's, I didn't want to get married again. You know, I've got a couple friends that have have been through divorce. You know, it's probably one of the worst things I, I ever had to go through. And, you know, I don't wish it upon my worst enemy. And, you know, the thought of sort of giving control back to someone and, and, and sharing with someone, it was something I was very, very hesitant to do. You know, I told all my friends, I told all my families, nope, ain't going to happen. Never getting married again. You did not tell me this when we started dating. I will just point out. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it's something I did vocalize. You know, was I 100%, 100% serious, serious? Obviously not, you know, because I'm, I'm here today with, with Christina and, and, and two more kids. But for me, you know, I just, I couldn't, envision or imagine doing not only just doing it again but finding someone that could fit in to what me and the bigs you know had you know i had i'd been a single dad for a while at that point and we had a routine you know we had our own life that we were doing i actually i dated someone before christina uh, for several months and never once introduced her to the kids not once and, you know, after meeting Christina and, you know, we had dated for several weeks, I, I knew I was ready to introduce her to them. And I knew that they were ready to meet her as well. 
And so it's it's something that just changed naturally over time as I got to know Christina and who she was and her love and her acceptance of me. I mean, there there aren't very many beautiful, intelligent, career-driven women, you know, in their late 20s that would date a guy, a divorced guy with three kids. Uh, there, there, there's just not. And I knew I had something special with Christina and I was going to lock it down. (laughs) (laughs) Locking it down is a very good place for an ad break. Isn't it, my friends? Isn't it? We will be right back. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. 
Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because, God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, Christina and Ryan have five kids. Five. Three bigs and two littles. They're now also both retired from the CIA. But ultimately, we both resigned from the CIA so that we could put down some roots and have Ryan's three kids and now my kids with us, you know, full time. And our current custody situation at the time didn't allow for us to take them overseas for an additional tour. And so that was how we decided to put down roots in the Seattle area, which is where Ryan is from originally. And we've been able to kind of find a a good work-life balance. You know, that said, there are a lot of, they call them tandem couples in the CIA who, you know, stay in, in the agency and have kids and do tours overseas, which obviously was Ryan, you know, for quite some time in his previous marriage. And it does work for a lot of people. And, you know, for our situation was just a little bit different. But the skills the two of them learned and the language that they used to use in the spy world, those things permeate their marriage. Our conversation was actually peppered with phrases like going rogue, letting it float. And I was here for all of it. Going rogue. And that is when one of us either has a conversation or makes some sort of agreement or introduces or introduces a concept or item or something to any of the kids without you know, consulting the other. Yeah. Without having like, I don't want to say previous approval. It's not like a formal process, but having some sort of discussion, right? Things like, you know, Ryan bringing home a a, a knife for Ari, who was like, what, three at the time? He picked it up from overseas and he like comes home and introduces it to Ari. He doesn't give it to him. He shows it to him in the package without having talked to me at all about it. One of the things that we don't always see eye to eye on is knives and tools in that regard. And he showed it to Ari and said, ooh, you know, Ari, you can have this when you're older. This is yours. Take a look. And Ari got really excited and I just kind of let it flow. That's another thing that we use a lot in our marriage is this idea of letting it float. And I let it float. And then later that night when we were getting into bed and my emotions weren't quite so high, I said, hey, you know, you went rogue there. We didn't discuss that. (laughs) He said, well, I didn't give it to him. I just picked it up because I was in Europe and I saw one. I know I'm going to get it for him eventually. And I said, yeah, but we didn't discuss giving it to him. And now he has seen it and he's excited about it. And I'm just not ready for that. He's three. I'm not there yet. And usually what happens in these situations where one of us goes rogue in an ideal scenario the person who went rogue says yeah you're right I went rogue I'm sorry and that's generally how it goes in our marriage of course it's not always quite so smooth for the most part (laughs) 
I loved what you said about letting something float. What exactly does that mean for you guys? Well, that's Ryan's term. I've I've fully adopted it though. <laughs> so let let's just say it could be anything. You know, Christina has an idea that to her seems like an amazing <laughs> idea, but I'm not on board with it at all. Rather than smack it down immediately and get into a disagreement on whether it should be done or not, or whether you know I'm on board or I'm not on board, I do something that I call. <laughs> I do something that I call. I let it float. So maybe she tells me, you know, she needs to do or she wants or X, Y, Z. If I'm against it, I don't come out and say that immediately for a few different reasons. One, you know, we all want and need things uh, that other people may not necessarily understand. And so I let it float and let her talk it out. And I I also let it float so that it's, it's also entirely possible that my perspective might change once I hear her out. Uh, and vice versa. Or mine might, yeah, by the exactly. time. Sometimes you just need to talk out an idea. And, you know, if someone smacks it down from the get-go, then you're not able to you're go defensive. through, like, you become defensive and you're not even able to go through, like, a natural evolution of thought, which you would be able to do if you had just kind of talked it out. And in some cases, you might talk it out and think, yeah, okay, that's not what I want to do. But you can't get there if you become defensive. I would say that Ryan's better at letting it float than I am. I'm probably quick to nip things in the bud just because I want to make sure that no one thinks that I've signed off on something. So I'm always afraid that if I let something flow, then that could be taken as like tacit approval. So if it's something I feel really strong about, sometimes I don't risk letting it float. But we also use this with the kids as well. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, with, with different ideas or decisions or things that they oh, yeah. want to do or not want to do. Oh, Ryan's really good at that. I'll be like, oh my gosh, I mean, we should have told them, like, there's no way they're doing that. And Ryan's always really good to remind me, like, just like, just let it float. It's okay. It's not going to happen. Let's just let them talk we'll it out. We'll kibosh it later on. <laughs> we'll kibosh Let's not, it down like, the road. you know, kill their creativity or their excitement here. Let's just, like, gradually kind of see how this plays out. And, and I think this also goes back, I mean, I even use this within my intelligence operations. You're meeting with some very interesting people overseas and having different ideas and things that they want to do as you're developing a relationship or handling a relationship with someone that has intelligence of value you know you want to hear them out and i think it's important to hear people out and maybe that's another way to phrase it you know hearing someone out or letting something float and letting them get it off their chest and whether it's an idea uh, or a decision etc cetera, etc cetera. and then you slowly if 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 in the end you agree then you, you go down that road. In the end, if you don't agree, then there's subtle ways that you can sort of... Walk the person back. Yeah, you know, walk them off the plank, walk them <laughs> back, and, uh, you know, choose to do something else. Guys, it's like you have a whole other language. I love it. Like, I feel like I have to create, like, a, a dictionary just for this episode so we can explain. <laughs> We're going to let it float, and then what if someone goes rogue? It's amazing. <laughs> Something else the two of them learned from working for the CIA was that sometimes you just have to get the job done. You don't have to belabor a project. Perfect can be the enemy of good when the things that you need to accomplish are matters of national security. Taking that approach to their marriage has made them relate to one another and to their children in a totally different way this whole good is good enough. And that's something that we learned at the CIA because, you know, there could be late nights where you have to basically decide good is good enough and and close up shop for the night, you know, in these, some of these training exercises. Finding that balance of 
perfection is the enemy of good, good is good enough. And so that's something that we've passed on to our kids. And one of the ways that we teach that to our kids is through modeling that ourselves. It's changing your expectations. You know, you might think that you do it perfectly. And so anything that your spouse does, you know, is not perfect and therefore not acceptable, right? It's like coming to a place where you're comfortable with the fact that you're going to go meet some girlfriends for dinner. Your spouse is going to, you know, take care of the kids for the night. They're not going to do things exactly how you would do it, but they're going to do it and they're going to be safe, you know, and do things their own way. And the kids are going to be taken care of and they'll be fine. So it's learning how to let go and, and accepting the fact that people are going to do things differently than you are. And that doesn't mean it's wrong or not perfect or it's just different. And that's okay. Yeah, exactly. Because I think that when we allow our, our spouse to do things their own way and we change our expectations and just realize that, you know, well, the way I'm not doing it isn't perfect either. It's just my way of doing it, right? And accepting them, it kind of opens up these possibilities for, you know, us to do more things and to, you know, want to help each other more. Because if we're trying to help, but our partner is telling us, well, you're not doing this right, or I want this done this way, that makes us less inclined to want to help. So if we feel like there's freedom to help and do things how it feels naturally to us, then we're going to be more inclined to want to do more and to, it's, you know, a give and take. You know, understanding that striving for perfection is nauseating. It's impossible. And so understanding when there's grace, understanding when there's patience and there there's freedom of, of flexibility in what you do and how you do it and how you approach it. I think that just makes everybody happier. Well, I think particularly for our family, because we are such a big family, we're a family of seven and like Ryan in particular is gone all day working and he comes home and he's got six people who want his attention and want time with him. It would be really easy for me to be demanding of his time and, you know, wanting more of this, more of that. And we need a date night and it's accepting the fact that he's human And, you know, probably the last person on his list always is himself. And so having that grace and that understanding of he is trying to give to every single person when he gets home, because I will say that as a partner and a father, he is really intentional about making sure that he is giving every single person in our family one-on-one attention. And so I think it's important for me to realize that you know, he's not perfect. And there are going to be times where I don't get as much attention as I want. And I think that, you know, that's normal. And I'm okay with that. And I think what's so great about our marriage is that we've reached a point where we sort of have this understanding of knowing that we're in a very busy season of life right now. And we prioritize our relationship to the extent that we can. It is always kind of a what a, a juggling act. Yeah. Um, and we're kind of all filling in the gaps and we're all helping each other out because, you know, it's really chaotic right now with such a large family and, you know. And I think something else that we do really well is we allow the other person to have alone time. Yes. We allow the other person to go spend time with friends. You know, we allow the other person to go have, you know, a mini vacation. Yes. Um, you know, either by themselves or with some friends, et cetera, et cetera. So important. Yeah, it's so important to be able to recharge, 
you know, whether it's alone or whether it's with friends, you know, away from the family and have that time and to just be supportive. I mean, there's been, you know, a lot of articles written specifically about dads and being, you know, men being lonely, you know, because it's hard for them to make friends. And, you know, of course, moms as well, um, you know, and so we really have to be intentional about carving out that space and being supportive, even for like new hobbies, for example. I mean, I recently decided to take an ice skating class by myself (laughs) at night and Ryan was really supportive. He could have said, well, you know, we have so much going on. Why on earth do you have to go take an ice skating class, like like a beginner's ice skating class at your age? Like, what in the world are you doing? But instead he said, okay, I've got the kids. Go for it. Well, I think even with ice skating, that's definitely something that I let float, but then took a life of its own. (laughs) (laughs) You guys have this life that feels like it's still filled with adventure, even though you're no longer spies. Is having that sense of adventure something that is important to you guys for your relationship and also in building this family together? Yeah, I mean, I really think it's at the core of, of everything that we try to do. You know, we love to travel. Uh, we both have traveled internationally for the past decade plus. But of course not recently, uh, so we're yeah. anxious for, the, for the, the world to open back up. This is the longest I've gone in my adult life, you know, without traveling internationally. And so it, it is a little bit odd. But yeah, from a travel perspective, just from a daily life perspective, I, I think having an adventurous spirit, trying to instill the spirit of, of adventure in our kids, we're not talking about you know, it's not like you have to go to Africa and, and go on a safari or, you know, sail across the world, although that is number one on my bucket list. <laughs> <laughs> Sailing for you, Africa for me. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, even just small things. I mean, last night, for example, Ari wanted to go on a little adventure in the backyard with his little adventure bag and, and walk around in, in the woods and, and, and shoot his bow and arrow, etc. And so it can even be just in small things. But I think kids, especially in this day and age, they need and they crave adventure, even if they don't know it. We have a very strict policy on video games in our house. We do have a couple, but our kids really don't do it. And we we don't really encourage them to play video games. Because I I think, especially now, video games have, have taken over, not just video games, but even just social media and apps and cell phones. You know, people aren't communicating face-to-face anymore. Kids are afraid to actually call someone and talk on the phone. They'd rather text. You know, people are glued to the TV. People are glued to video games. We want to get our kids outside. We want to get them riding bikes. We want to get them hiking. We want them to have these, again, these well-rounded skills that make them unique individuals and it's it's really important from from both of our perspectives and it's something that we talk about and, and and if we find ourselves sort of you know not doing that you know we, we try to plan some things out and, and have things to look forward to um it's again i think it's really important in this day and age well and i think we found i mean over the past year we've had to find ways to sort of bring the world to our family and so one of the fun ways that we've been doing that is you know, through trying different foods from all over the world. And so it becomes this like really fun bonding experience and this way to bring adventure through food and bring the world to our family at a time where we're not able to go out into the world. We have both have a sense of adventure. I think Ryan brings that out in all of us. And when we talk about, you know, the skill sets and the CIA principles that we give our kids, none of it is done in sort of a scary or intimidating way. It's all really done with the spirit of adventure behind it and it's done in a fun way that becomes empowering to both parents and to kids
Christina and Ryan recently worked on a book together. It's called Licensed Parent, and it's all about how they use the techniques the two of them learned as honest-to-goodness spies to make them better parents. And we found this way to apply what we used to do at the CIA to apply it to parenting and find this sort of intersection or Venn diagram, if you will, of two parts of, you know, my life that I used to view as, you know, entirely different. And so we've kind of brought them together in this unique way because it's really important to us that other parents have these tools to use with their kids because using them and observing Ryan's parenting style and being in this together and leaning on our CIA experience, I know I've been able to parent from a place of strength rather than a place of fear. I think that there's a lot of helicopter parenting right now going on and a lot of anxiety and a lot of these techniques that we use at the agency really help me. So I think I think our experience at the agency having both, like Ryan said, that common thread, it helps us to be able to relate to each other and to support each other because we know what we used to do and we know kind of where we are now. But also it's a common thread that brings us together to now write a book, which has been really special for us. When did you guys get the idea to write a book? When like when did it when did it really start clicking too that you're like, oh my god, our time as spies is totally related to how we parent. Wanted to do something different and it was Ryan who said, you know, I've kind of always thought about, you know, our parenting style and the things I've been doing, you know, with the bigs. And, you know, we kind of got to thinking about well, what does that look like now? you know, what, now that we've added to the family and because, you know, Ryan and I have different skill sets from CIA, you know, his is more focused on some of the more physical things that we talk about in the book, like how to spot and avoid danger, preparing for emergency scenarios. Whereas I bring more of the analytical, you know, how to write, how to brief. The most important thing that Christina realized she brings to her parenting style from her spy style is that she gives her kids way more autonomy than she ever thought she would have. Instead of becoming the helicopter parent I envisioned, I give my kids more autonomy than I ever expected. And the way that I do that is through using these CIA techniques that Ryan was already doing with his three kids from his previous marriage. And so together, he and I have adapted our what we learned at the CIA, our experiences there. He was on the operations side as an operations officer, recruiting spies and stealing secrets, whereas I was an intelligence analyst for the bulk of my career. We combined both of those experiences to parent our kids with a lot of freedom and use these CIA techniques that we've adapted in a simple and straightforward way. And we share them throughout the book along with practical takeaways um, for parents to learn how to raise well-rounded security conscious kids you know at, at the agency especially at the farm as you're going through through training they purposefully make people fail and, and there's a reason for that you know I, I can honestly say you know during my training it was so it was so difficult and so stressful and so strenuous that anything you do in the real world will be easy and I think that's a, a really good way to train. And, and, and I can honestly say nothing I ever did in, in, in real life for the agency overseas was as difficult as my training. And, and part of that is learning and understanding failure because a lot of the exercises are geared to make people fail. And it's through failing that you actually learn the most. That there were a few times that I failed at the farm uh, during an exercise. And that lesson is ingrained on my brain. I will never forget it. And I know I will never make that same mistake twice. 
Well, and I think as parents, what can be one of the most difficult things I know for me is giving our kids that space to fail and allowing them to do that because so much of me wants to protect them and, you know, make sure that I don't put them in situations that I don't think they'll succeed in. But I have to kind of step back and remind myself that that's not serving, you know, a broader and more important purpose for them, which is to ultimately set them up to be self-sufficient. This episode of Committed was hosted and reported by Joe Piazza, with a very special thanks to Christina and Ryan Hillsberg. Supervising producer is Ramsey Yunt. The executive producers are Joe Piazza and Tyler Klang. Theme song and music by Tristan McNeil. For comments, suggestions, or to be part of the show, give us a call at 404-996-1173. That's 404-996-1173. Or send us an email at joe at committedpodcast.com that's j-o at committedpodcast.com you can grab a copy of joe's book how to be married on amazon or wherever books are sold committed is a production of iHeartRadio and produced in our studios located in atlanta georgia for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows a new season of bridgerton is here and with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.